0: Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy Gill with the James Exchange, and it is Friday, June the 16th. Today, I am going to share with you a conversation I had with Mindy Zlotnick and Heidi DeVier-Bertu. They are two ladies very much involved in what's going on with gold mining in Buckingham County and are major players of the Friends of Buckingham and the Virginia Community Rights Network. We discussed, of course, gold mining and led off with the General Assembly's House Bill 2213, which Heidi kicks off the conversation describing what that is and where it is. I do apologize for the lateness of this podcast because in it you will hear about a film, The Invisible Hand. This documentary is well worth time spent viewing it. There is a link in the written part of this podcast along with several other links. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Mindy and Heidi and let's get on with it. What is the status of HB 2213?
1: 2213 was passed in the the General Assembly, and the assignment was for three state agencies to study the potential impacts of gold mining in Virginia and also take a look at the the regulations and to see if they are adequate. And the state agencies decided, really headed up by what was formerly known as the DMME, now called Virginia Energy, which is very confusing, the Departments of Mines, Minerals, and Energy, they chose to hire NASM, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, uh, to do the study because they are certainly more of a neutral party. That was started last July, and it's ongoing, and they are both parties, both the state agency and the, the NASM are to report their findings to the General Assembly by December 1st of this year, of 2022. So HB 2213, we had hoped would have been a two-year study. It got scaled back to a one-year study. We also asked for a moratorium while that study was ongoing. And that also got sliced out of the request. And then we asked for an expansion of that study in this next, this past general assembly to include all metals mining, and we asked for the moratorium to be put back in. And that was neither one of those were accepted. So what we got is the study that is is uh, happening. Now, so these, so what that means is that the National Academies have been doing public meetings and inviting various experts in the field to come educate them and have question and answers um, back and forth. And actually, I could do a little promotion for this right now. If you would please go to the Friends of Buckingham website and to the gold page and the take action box. It's a big gold a uh, box in the center of the page. There are uh, links there that you can go and make public comments. The NASA is getting their report together. They're, they're pretty much wrapping up their, their studies and they're wanting to start creating their report to the General Assembly. So they're asking that the public comment by mid-July. And then so that's NASM. And then there's also the state agencies that want to hear from people. So um, it's important. We have found through our work with the pipeline that You know, when you show up that's when the magic happens as soon as you give up and just think someone else will do it. (laughs) You know, we we don't win that way. We we have to get out of our comfort zones and, and on the friends of Buckingham website we have lots of good information there I just recently put up uh, 10 there's always more. Uh, most important concerns about gold mining in Virginia. And there's lots of quick access. You can take a look at maps of abandoned mines in Buckingham and across the state that are all loaded with mercury. So why, why would we want to allow industrial modern scale mining into, this, uh, into Buckingham, let alone Virginia? And that's what we're trying to stop at the state level and at the local level. So maybe I've said enough about the state level and then we can segue into the into the local. It's, it's, it's really important that it be approached at all the, you know, in whatever way we can do it. And the local level is really important.
0: Mindy, I know that you're very much involved as I know Heidi is as well with the Friends of Buckingham. I know you have an initiative And it is an ordinance to protect the health, safety, and general welfare of Buckingham residents. Can you briefly go through that? And then I really want to tackle the issues of gold mining. Actually, it's
2: a joint effort between Friends of Buckingham and Virginia Community Rights Network. I'm more involved with Virginia Community Rights Network. Divya is involved with both. So a group of us got together with an organization called Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, and um, with a man named Bryn Price, and he helped us craft this ordinance. And basically we've, we've kind of, the essence of it, we wanted to get, it's an 11 page document, which is a lot for people to read. And we wanted to kind of, you know, simmer it down to the essence of it. So we came up with three points. The first is that it reflects our, it asserts our right and our responsibility to make decisions locally for ourselves. Around, our, um, around environment um, and our health and safety. The second is that it protects us against what is called in the document, toxic trespass, which means that for instance, a company can say, or um, owner, a landowner, wirehouser or the exploratory company can say, you can't go on our land. You can't trespass on our land. And what we're saying is, well, you can't trespass on our property which is our health, our safety, our water, our our land, access to um, our water through our wells. We don't want toxic trespass on those those things. And the third part of it is uh, prove it first, which asks any mining company who's applying for a special use permit to prove that the mine that they're planning to find another mine that's similar to the one that they're planning that has not done harm to people or to the environment and that was open for 10 years. And then find an, the same mine or another mine that was closed for 10 years because a lot of the a lot of the environmental impact comes after the mine was closed. So open for 10 years, closed for 10 years, prove that first, that you can find a mine. And they really they can't do that. So so those are the three parts of the ordinance. And it's really not only protecting us as humans, but protecting the environment of which we are part. So a group of us wrote the ordinance with Celldev's help. We're collecting a thousand signatures and it's really been an educational tool because we've gone to a lot of fairs. We started out in Scottsville at the market and talking to people. And this year, this season, we're concentrating on events that are happening in Buckingham County. And we've also gone to a, a lot of gas stations and just hung out and talked to people there as they get their gas or you know, go, go into the country stores or whatever and talking to a lot of people. And most of them don't know anything about it. And just about everybody says, where do I sign?
0: My understanding is a company, Canadian company Aston Bay is already doing exploratory drilling in Buckingham, and can you tell us how they came about to do this and how the Buckingham Board of Supervisors fits into the narrative?
1: Divya, you want to take that one? Um, Yeah, sure, and I, I, I certainly want to circle back about that ordinance too. Okay, so about well, I guess it's going on five years now. Uh, five years ago, the these various Canadian uh, exploratory mining companies were doing uh, drilling and other exploratory measures um, here in Buckingham. But we just discovered it uh, last was it last year? Oh my gosh! Um, twenty 2020. twenty. 2020. Yeah, twenty twenty. We we discovered it a month before the. Uh, Atlantic Coast pipeline was shut down, which was July 5th. And, you know, those of us who were still, I mean, yeah, most of us um, who were still enthralled, shall we say, with the pipeline fight, we heard about it, like I said, a month before it was shut down and we were like, no, we cannot take on one more thing. We've been fighting it for, you know, six years. We heard about it through a neighbor who was approached by the mining company asking him if he would sell his land. And he's like, heck no, you know, I just got here. I built my place, um, <laughs> uh, I love it here. And uh, But he was kind of curious, like, so how much would you, how much uh, I could stay here, right? And they said, no, actually, you you would not want to stay here if this were. <laughs> They were were forthright about it. But anyway, so we find out that the county knew nothing about it. We find out that some of the neighbors in the Warminster area, their wells were going dry. We are not 100% sure that that's because of the 27 holes, deep holes, 300 to 500 feet impacted their their wells we are we've been told by hydrologists that yes of course it's going to impact your your wells others will say oh no it's not going to impact your well so hard to hard to know and we kind of had to keep going and look at the larger focus and we haven't fully dealt with that issue which we need to so back to the supervisors they were they were quite flustered and and angry about it not knowing that this Drilling is going on. I mean, compare it to if, if you want to drill for water, you have to go get a permit. You don't have to pay much, but that way there's a record of it. There's oversight of it. But for exploratory drilling, the way it was on the books was that there was nothing in the zoning code that said you could or couldn't do it. But the county administrator interpreted it as, no, you couldn't do it. And thus it was illegal. But the supervisors who Unfortunately, don't look at whether it's clean money or dirty money. And we consider this very dirty money. They just, you know, I I understand their concerns. They want their, their concerns are to keep the revenue coming into the county to pay for all the expenses that we enjoy. I totally get that. Unfortunately, they turned within six months, it took them six months to do it, but they they turned the law around and made it legal. Uh, with no permitting required. Um, and that's an interesting story of how that happened, but we don't need to go into the details. So they turned it around. So what we have in place now is, yes, you have to have a special use permit to do mining, but exploratory drilling, uh-uh, you can just come in, nobody knows you're doing it, except the neighbors who worry about what's going on next door. That's, that's bad. And Yeah, I I guess that's enough said now about that. I
2: I would just add to that that consequently because there's no paper trail of where they're doing exploratory drilling. When they announced that they were doing it not only near us off of 56 on the 5000 acre but they also announced they were doing it in two other places in Buckingham County, but they didn't have to tell us where. So we're kind of guessing from sightings and where there are old gold mines, but they said they were in former in the area of former gold, gold mines. And that's all along 15 and 60. So
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we should back up and say a few things, because I don't think we've said this, is that there's a gold pyrite belt that extends essentially from Halifax to Fairfax, but really from Georgia to Newfoundland. So if, and South Carolina is where the other large scale gold mining mines are happening right now, on the East Coast, that's it. Other than in Fuvana, there's a small, less than 10 acre gold mine that is... Again, not large scale, and we actually wrote our bill around that because he's not using chemicals, and and that's pretty much what has to happen these days because gold has been cherry-picked all around the world. Essentially, you have to dig deeper and wider, and then you have to crush it and pulverize it and um, then sprinkle cyanide over it. And that's what is is so toxic about this. Now, in the good old days, they used mercury. So we've gone from worse to worse. So all the gold mines are loaded with mercury. The interesting thing about the the man who's doing the gold mining in Fulvana is that he's using a centrifuge to separate the gold from the ore. And he's also separating the mercury. So he's doing a good deed. To, uh to clean up the mercury and paying himself you know by by getting the gold it's a very expensive and highly technical project and as he points out no one else is doing it because it's really hard to do it's not that the regulations are holding him back though you do need to understand the regulations and the politics and you need to have investors and so it's interesting we we've struck up a a very friendly relationship with him, and learned so much from him. Um, he's, like I said, he's, he's a, just, he's over over in um, fulvana not far from the James. Who is the
0: predominant landowner where these mines are located?
1: Oh, there, you know, you can go on the Friends of Buckingham uh, website and scroll down to what is it called? Quick resources. And you will see a number of maps uh, that will inform you. Uh, essentially, we we have some really smart people in our coalition who created a map showing the abandoned mines in Buckingham. So they're over 70. These are documented mines. So there's more, <laughs> more than what's documented. Cause you know, in the good old days, of course, the recording, you didn't necessarily have to record everything, whatever, because there was no regs.
2: Did you mean where the exploratory drilling is being done? Who's the owner of the land?
0: Yes, but first I want to qualify the time period for the good old days you just mentioned.
1: (laughs) I think 1700s was the first discoveries, but the major part of the mining happened in the 1800s. And then when the California gold rush and the Yukon Um, And the Civil War happened, pretty much it petered out and they'd kind of mined what they could. But from our understanding, um, the the existing abandoned mines still have plenty of gold. It's just that, again, it takes a lot to get back in there and know how to do it right and not stir up the mercury and send it downstream.
0: Mindy, you were going to say something?
2: No, I was just asking if your question, um, who owns the land? was about the exploratory mines. Yes. So the the big mine that we know the location of, the 5,000 acres off of 56, the land is owned by Weyerhauser, and I'm not, sh- which is a timber company. And yep. they're, they're, they seem to be selling a lot of, oh, I don't know if they've sold it or what their relationship is, they leased it or whatever, but they've given access to that land to the exploratory mining companies. Okay. And it seems like they're, um, changing their focus and doing a lot of mineral exploration on their land as opposed to timber. Maybe it's more been a profitable. Well, the other two sites that that um, Aston Bay, the Canadian company, has publicly announced, they haven't announced where they are. So we don't know who owns the land. okay they They said that they were privately owned, but we don't know whether they consider Wirehauser a private owner or if they were individuals?
1: We, we do have an idea that it could be right near um, New Canton, which is near the Fluvanna border. Uh, and the other is like around Dillwyn. Um, so we have indications. Also, we didn't mention Pittsylvania and Campbell, the, the lucky receivers of, uh, of more copper and lead mining. Um, oh, I, this this would be kind of a good time to segue back to um, the local ordinance because where we got our ordinance from uh, largely uh, was Halifax, the, the uh, town council of Halifax, and they they wrote themselves an ordinance much much like the one. I mean, again, we modeled ours after theirs and theirs was to protect themselves from uranium mining and it was written in 2008 unanimous passage, you can find that on the Virginia Community Rights Network under the Community Bill of Rights page we have a list of ordinances that have been written across the country. But the one that we specifically drew from was the one that's already here and in place and law, made into law in Halifax. And um, we are working with some folks from down there also on this, this gold project. Now, and it, another interesting thing that has been said by other experts that we've talked to is that essentially there's not a whole lot of difference between uranium mining and metallic mining because once you start digging, you encounter heavy metals and radioactive materials. We all know about radon in our basements, right? Well, that's what. So when you start extracting, just the naturally occurring you know, toxicity is all dug up and brought up for us all to have to deal with, let alone the added cyanide that's used to process. So from the beginning, mining is, very whatever extractive toxic to the community and then of course downstream because when those big they call them tailings ponds it's a euphemism for waste um, when the dams that hold them in break and we're talking 600 acres can you imagine of toxic sludge that's what's in at the hail mine in South Carolina those dams break and that Waste is heading for Chesapeake Bay, and this is has happened all around the world. And another like interesting like horror detail, and you can you can see some horrible videos on our web uh, on Friends of Buckingham website of of those dam failures. But what do you think they're, the dams are made of? They're made of the crushed ore, pulverized mm-hmm. ore. How is that going to withstand a two-inch rain, let alone a uh, a 10 inch, let alone a hurricane. It's it's madness.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And just to the thought came to my mind, too, that the ordinance that we wrote for Buckingham County is not just for gold. It's for metallic mining. So it's so that, you know, the the bill that was passed for the state for the study is specifically about gold. And the you know, the people who are working on this this year weren't able to expand that to metallic mining. But when we wrote our the ordinance, we already knew that all, we wanted to look at all metallic mining and not just gold. But we're focusing on our education around, uh, to other people around gold.
0: So Mindy, in your presentation, you referred to a box and how we need to get outside of this box. Mm-hmm. Could you describe to us what your box is? So
2: this box is a model that CELDEF, uh uses a lot. It really helped me to see how these different way, different things that are in place in, our, in the system, keep us in the system rather than thinking outside the box. So one of those is, um, and David, please help me. <laughs> one of them is that nature is property. And what we're doing with, our, with this um, ordinance is saying that we want nature to be able to exist and flourish and to have the right to do that.
0: I think you, you said in nature, in your box, it's not just the land and what goes with the land. It's also us. Yes,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Because we are part of nature and even though
1: we we fooled ourselves we've confused ourselves i would say to thinking that we're separate from it we oh my gosh yeah
2: i would go so far as that we're deluding ourselves that we're (laughs) yes
0: and and
2: you know so if we if we think of a circle usually the model of a circle is like we're in the center we're the center of the universe and all all the animals and parts of the ecosystem are around us and they serve us. But if we took ourselves out of the middle of the circle and we put ourselves in the circle, that's kind of the model that we wanna work with of seeing that we are equal and part of nature. Another side of the box is corporate, uh, corporate personhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is you know, defined by law that corporations have the same rights that we do that have been given to us in the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those rights take precedent over our rights um, because corporations have a lot of power. So what we're saying in our ordinance is that we're more important than the corporations and their rights. And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, corporations lots of times sue communities for the loss of potential earnings and it it's really hard to get around that. We want to set a law that says you can't do that, and that you the proof the proof has to be in your hands and not in our hands. Another side of the box is the regulatory system that the regulations are set. We saw that really I saw that really clearly um, in the pipeline struggle. Regulations were set, you know, like oh, it's okay to have. X amount of pollution in the air because it's not harmful. It's okay to have Y amount of um, this and X amount of this, but why have any pollution at all? It's harmful to our health and safety. The regulatory system really, they have to set up public hearings and public comments and all of that. And that's a hoop that we go through, but they don't have to listen to anything that we say legally.
1: And, and Mindy, if I could just add to that, that's where we particularly learned about what Mindy was talking about is about the allowable amount of pollution. because because Buckingham's air was so pure and it wasn't filled up with t- uh, pollution, we it was allowable to add more pollution because we hadn't reached the the limits yet, which is really crazy thinking. It's like, oh no, Richmond is too polluted, so we can't add any polluting industry there because it's full up. It's, it's, you know, it's it's reached its ceiling for how much it's allowed to pollute. It's crazy thinking, but this is how our regulatory system works. Anyway, Mindy, go, go on to the next one.
2: Okay, so the fourth one, I'm absolutely spacing on. Can
1: you help me? <laughs> oh, it's state, pre- state preemption. Oh, so, state preemption. Yes, our favorite, so, of course. <laughs> so, um,
2: and this is, this is a difficult one because I mean, everybody says, oh, Virginia is such a Dylan's rule state. And what it, what it basically says is that local communities have no right to make any decisions for themselves. The state has that right to make decisions. And anything that a local community decides can be preempted or nixed by the state government because of this. And what we're saying is (laughs) that's not the way we want it to be. And um, I think Charlottesville is a really good example of a community that has put out different regulations that and made decisions for themselves you know specifically around around minimum wage that's different than the state the state ceiling and nobody has said anything about it yet so or they could but but they could (laughs) but they could but but charlottesville just went forward and said okay so we're just going to do this and so we're saying okay well we're just going to do this And so that first aspect of of the ordinance that we have the right and responsibility, and we listed in the ordinance of all the places that give us this right, including the Virginia Constitution, that we have the right and the responsibility to make decisions for ourselves locally. We'll, We'll see what happens.
1: Well, also in our ordinance, we, um, I think the bedrock of the constitution, I mean, we, we in our preamble, um, we cite various um, sections of the constitution, but the bedrock, which you'll hear other environmental groups also uh, quoting is article 11, where it says that it's the right, it's the responsibility of the state to take care of our health and our environment but it's just not adhered to so what we're doing is we're challenging the constitution saying look it's written right here do your you know do your job and protect the constitution so we we actually and also part of the constitution it says that when the government is not upholding its law or its constitution it's the duty and the responsibility of the citizens to to call that out that's what this does and i have to say when I read our ordinance, yes, it's 11 pages and yes, it's law, but you know what? It's kind of, to me, it's on the edge of your seat reading. It's very thrilling to, to read the, this high inspirational thinking. So I highly recommend your listeners to take, take a look and really look at our ordinance and consider doing one for Scottsville. We would love, we <laughs> would love for Scottsville. We're planting the seed but the idea is for other communities to assert their rights to protect themselves. I mean, you know, look at Scottsville, you built a dam. So that's substantial protection. You could also do something like this <laughs> protection.
0: Well, I know a few years ago, one of our counselors, and I forget how we acted upon it, but it was giving the river a right. That. Yeah. So with this ordinance it's it's local so the Board of Supervisors will have to vote on it yep and, okay. and when does it go before them?
2: well we're just getting to that point um, okay really wanted to wait until we had we now have about 70% of the signatures that we wanted so we wanted to get closer to that goal of a thousand signatures
0: mm-hmm.
2: before we started making overtures to the Board of Supervisors right <laughs> so we're just beginning to connect. With individuals, okay, um, to talk with them. So, um,
0: so uh, exciting times in Buckingham. Well,
2: think yeah, <laughs> <us. and> so. <laughs> I don't know for the board of supervisors.
0: <laughs> you've given a lot of information here, and I know that there there are two organizations that that you're both involved with, and that is, of course, the Friends of Buckingham and the Virginia Community Rights Network, which you've both referenced here. Can you give Maybe just a really basic concept of the Virginia Community Rights Network, because I think everybody understands Friends of Buckingham.
2: Virginia Community Rights Network is part of a larger network of other community rights network around the country. There are a number of states that um, form this network, and they've all been working on, it's, the vision is really of a, Virginia community rights is to, the system is is fixed and it really needs to be broken. The ordinance is an example of how it can be changed so that everybody who's involved in the ecosystem, including humans, can be protected from the kind of extractive mentality that exists in the world today. So we're working to change the system by encouraging local communities to start at a local level with ordinances like the ones that, the one that we wrote that are called Community Bills of Rights. And this has happened in communities across the country. And I think probably the most famous one, at least in our circles, is the um, Lake Erie Bill of Rights, which gave Lake Erie its rights. To thrive. This was, this was as a, uh, the community got together as a result of losing their water access, totally losing their water access. They couldn't shower, they couldn't boil water, they couldn't do anything for three days. And, excuse me?
1: I think it was five days, can you imagine?
2: And they they had water coming out of the tap. It wasn't like they didn't have electricity and their water pumps didn't work. They just didn't have access to clean water. And after many, many overtures to the powers that be, they realized that they had to just do, they just had to protect the lake themselves. So they passed this with 63% of the vote. And it was on the books for a year until the corporations came in and said, no, 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 you can't do that.
1: Corporation backed by BP, British Petroleum.
2: Another really good example of a community is in Pennsylvania, and Virginia Community Rights Network is going to be showing a film called The Invisible Hand on June 10th. And we'd like to invite everybody to it. It's a free virtual showing. You can go to our website, and it, there's an event there, and you can register there for it. And we still have room in our virtual hall for it. But Invisible Hand highlights several communities, including the community in Ohio and, and Pennsylvania and Standing Rock, and how they organized themselves and fought against the system when it came to toxic trespass in their communities. We kind of feel like we're sister communities with them in what we're doing in Buckingham, and that's why we wanted to show this movie and use it as an education tool as well.
0: So this link is on the Friends of Buckingham.
1: Mindy, I'm just realizing we don't, if you go to Virginia Community Rights Network Facebook, it's on the events page. But on our website, you have to go into like news, top stories, and there's an article about it. But I'm realizing we don't have it featured on our website. So, but there's a good article there. Do you want me to drop the the link to the article in the chat? Sure. Sure. Okay, I'll go get it. But another thing I wanted to say that we often forget about, this was one of the early ones uh, is that Pittsburgh, the city council there unanimously voted in a community bill of rights that protected them against fracked gas Mm -hmm. wells in, in the city. They were early on in this movement. And when we say this movement, this is the rights of nature movement is really the last 20, 25 years yet. It is based on, founded on indigenous wisdom, which as we've talked about, says we are not separate from nature. When we think that way, look at at what we've got. This is where it's gotten us. I guess I also wanted to add to emphasize the whole idea that nature is property and property is the law of our land and it's been exported all around the world. And that's why we have such an extractive mentality we think we can do what we want with the land and we have consequences you know maybe early on the consequences were only local but we're all feeling it now you know that's what it takes I, this is a bit stream of consciousness but something that was really important and really important in virginia now is we with the atlantic coast pipeline environmental justice was brought to the top and we have an ej environmental justice written into our ordinance (laughs) 7.1.2 what we have come to understand is that where do we do these extractive exploitive businesses in communities of low wealth and color but guess what you know we've done so much of it that we are feeling it you know we're all in this together and when we think that oh we can just sacrifice that zone over there and it's not going to bother us. We'll get rich and we can, we can ride above it with all our wealth. Well, it's just not working anymore, is it?
2: Yeah. And, and just to add to that, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, talking about nature as property, when somebody owns a piece of property, they can take care of it, but they can also harm it. They have the right to do either. What we're looking at is the choice to harm. And we're trying to protect ourselves from that kind of harm. Um, which we're calling Toxic Trust. Is
0: there anything else that's kind of more of a mood elevator to close out the podcast <laughs> with? Well, I, I think the ordinance is a total mood
2: because it gives me hope every time I read it. It gives me hope and it gives me a structure that says, look, this is how this is how things could change to protect ourselves. It's one way that the mindset can change in order for us to have an earth to live on, really. You know, so it's just one, we're just one small part of the whole larger earth community, but changing at a local level is really where it's at for us at Virginia Community Rights Network. I mean, it feels like with all the conversations we've been having, changing one mind at a time, you know, is really where it's at. But the, the film Invisible Hand is is really a really hopeful paradigm shifting kind of movie. Um, and I really encourage everybody to sign up to see it. It's really a great opportunity.
0: And, and you did what I asked you to do. So thank you. And really, <laughs> this has been... I think, a very enlightening session. And I want to thank you both for joining me. I'm up for learning new things every day. Well, anytime you want
2: to do part two, just call us
0: back. (laughs) I I absolutely will. When it starts to go before the Buckingham supervisors, I think that's when we'll have a chat. So anyway, I'll let you get on with your day. And again, thank you so much for the information and sharing your morning with me. Yeah, and thanks so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate it. And that concludes our episode for today. There are several links in the written portion of this podcast that if you care to take a deeper dive into gold mines and the Community Bill of Rights, you may. So... I hope in the future to have conversations with the Board of Supervisors of Buckingham County, not all of them, but perhaps one or two, and possibly representatives from Aston Bay. We'll see how that goes, and as always, thank you for joining me here today, and if you have a story, you want to have a conversation, or want to discuss an issue, contact me. This has been an episode of the James Exchange. Have a great weekend.